it makes it hard for me at this point now to engage in the sermon. Like, what do you say after a after, um, presentation like that? And yet, at the same time, however, it does tie in. Well, what I will ask the, the IT guys back there, just leave out the uh, PowerPoints for the sermon, because I'll I'll abbreviate, because it is a little, getting a little on in time, so just leave out the PowerPoints. I'm just going to wrap up the uh, sermon series in Revelation with just a few comments on, on what God is doing. It goes without saying that we live in a very messed up world. And there's a lot of inequality. And there's a lot of problems. It has been that way since the beginning of creation when Adam and Eve rebelled against God and went their own selfish ways and got kicked out of the garden and paradise was no more. Ever since then the world has been a place of fear, of degradation, of corruption, hatred, violence, greed. And that continues on to this day. And one of the reasons why a country like Haiti is the way it is is because of the um, sin that goes on in this world. I did read up on the history of that country a little bit. It's not a pretty story. There's been a lot of bloodshed and violence in the past. And to this day, there's a lot of problems there. Last Sunday was November 11th. It was the the day that... um, November 11th was the day that... uh, People remember, it's called Remembrance Day. And incidentally, I don't know if I mentioned it last Sunday, but last Sunday it was 100 years since the war to end all wars was finished. It didn't last very long and wars just continued, and they continue to this day. Wars are happening even as we speak. There are so many other issues this world is facing, whether it's environmental issues. The world's being destroyed at an alarming rate. Or whether it's diseases and illnesses, we just don't know what to do with people are dying all around us. As Lowell mentioned, we just buried a dear brother this last week. The wounds are deep. Not only that, we have then the financial catastrophes that are happening from time to time. Most of you who are a little bit older or young adults maybe even remember 2007 and 8 and 9, the, the financial crisis and and there's so many of these things. And then on, on top of all of this, there's this strong push, globally strong push. Let's get rid of God. Let's get rid of religion. Let's get rid of faith. We don't need to believe. It's all just hocus pocus. It's all just superstition anyway. To gain a complete perspective, it is not a pretty picture. It doesn't look well. And yet that was never God's plan. That was never God's design. God's design was he was going to make a world, a place called earth. In that place he would place people, his image bearers, and to them he would give the responsibility to reflect his glory, to reflect his majesty, to reflect his power, and that we could also be co-creators with him. And it was destroyed. But the book of Revelation is a story of worship and how we end again in a place called paradise. That's where it all will culminate. That's where it all will end up. I'll read a few verses, and I've asked them not to put it in the PowerPoint, so you don't have to follow along. I'll just mention them if you want to follow in your Bibles, that's fine. Revelations 1, verse 20, verse 1 says, John says, I saw an angel come down from heaven with the key to the bottomless pit with a heavy chain in his hand. 
with the key to the bottom of his pit and a heavy chain in his hand. He seized the dragon, the old serpent, the devil, and bound him in chains for a thousand years. Do you know what this refers to? And we could go into all the nitty-gritty or the, the, the nuts and bolts of it. Well, you know what really it's saying? God is going to limit evil. God is going to put a stop to it. God is going to contain it. He's going to, he's going to hem it in. There is time limits on this. So sometimes people feel, when will it, when will it stop? When will the evil end? When will finally again there be hope? There is hope. And the Bible says, when it says a thousand years, Peter also writes a thousand years is like a day with God and a day like a thousand years. But what it's referring to is God will contain. He will detain. It will not go on forever. John goes on and talks about the resurrection, the first resurrection, and all those who are followers of Christ are part of that. And he talks about it later on in the chapter 20 how Satan is destroyed, how he's cast into the fiery pit to be tormented forever and ever. I want us to close the sermon series on Revelation with this thought in mind. God comes out as a winner in the end. It may not look that way now. It may not feel that way now. But that is the story. We're given the outcome of the battle beforehand. It's almost like you watch a game and you already know the outcome of the game. It's like when somebody has recorded a video for you and told you what the end is. It's, it's still maybe fun to watch the, the game in progress. Maybe it's a football game, a hockey game, how they, how they score and how they fail and how they come back again and so on. The book of Revelation carries the story of how God wins in the end. What is interesting in, in one of the verses again in verse 11, chapter 20 says, I saw a great white throne, John writes, and one sitting on it, and earth and sky fled from his presence. They found no place to hide. God is going to pay us a visit. And anyone whose name was not found in the book was thrown into the lake of fire. God's coming also for judgment. No one's exempt. No one gets a pass. There's no escape. On the one hand, I think it's going to be glorious and, 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 and exciting and and we have this anticipation for those who walk with Jesus, for those who are followers of Him. But for those who have avoided Him, rejected Him, denied Him, they will have a different outcome. Remember years ago hearing a man talk about, about a man who talked about his life and he was living a very ungodly life. He didn't love God or didn't care about people. And he made this comment, says, Oh, well, when I get old, I'll have forgotten most of it. As if that would make a difference in the records of God's books. God doesn't forget. God remembers. And if you want to know how serious this is, in the Old Testament, the story I've preached about it one time was, Joshua made a deal, a treaty with the Gibeonites. He was not going to kill them. 300 years later, King Saul tried it. And God took him to task for it. So many generations removed. God is not in the forgetting business. Those who repent, he says, I remove their sins as far as the east is from the west. Those sins are covered by the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. But those who refuse, they stay on record. Matthew 25 is a very detailed description of what Jesus says will happen on judgment day. The lost and the saved both will meet before the throne. Both of those will hear from God the words that he has for them. On the one side, well done, good and faithful servants. On the other side, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. But when this culminates, when this happens, in chapter 21 he talks about chapter 
chapter 21 verse 3 says, I heard a shout in, from the throne saying, look, the, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them. God moves back into the neighborhood. God's part, again, in the residence. He's going to do some fantastic stuff. He says in verse 4, he's going to wipe away all tears. There will be no more crying, no more death, no more pain. It's all gone forever. And he says in verse 5, I'm making everything new. He tells John, write it down because it's going to happen. He says in verse 6, it's finished. I'm the beginning and the end. God will live with his people. Someone might say, well, isn't he living with us now? Of course he's with us in spirit. But as Paul writes, we don't yet see as reality will be when we meet him. Our bodies here now have to die and we have to be buried. But that all will change when he comes back. Our physical bodies will not be like there now when we rise from the dead. We'll have bodies that won't have pain. There's going to be perfect bodies, Paul writes. There's one more event that he talks about in chapter 22. He says, there will be no more curse on anything. Remember what happened when Adam and Eve got kicked out of the garden? There was a curse. That's going to be wiped away. No more evil, no more curse. It says in verse 4 of chapter 22, they will see his face. Can you imagine that? Seeing God's face? His name on their foreheads. No night, no sun. He himself will be the light. And it says, they will reign forever and ever. Remember in the garden when the first couple sinned by eating from the forbidden fruit that should not eat? They were removed from the garden. The curse followed after that. John says, that's all finished. will never happen again. And will reign forever and ever. Then John closes off his letter to the churches with a solemn warning. The last chapter, he warns the reader not to take away from what he's written or to add, because if you take away, the blessing will be taken away. If you add, the plagues will be added. So when we think of the book of Revelation, as puzzling as it sometimes is, and maybe unclear as a lot of it is, what is clear in the book is that good and evil will not always struggle side by side. Good and evil will, for the final time, one day, good will come out on top of evil. We see it at work in many ways, and God has decreed He will put an end to it. No more hunger, no more starvation, no more corruption, no more evil. We are made for worship. In the beginning, that's why God put us for His pleasure on this earth, to worship Him and praise Him. And that was lost when sin came. And Adam and Eve were banished from the garden. But in the book of Revelation, Revelation says paradise is restored. And we have a choice in that. Sin is removed. God now lives with his people. What is interesting is how this is perceived in the world. You talk to some people, this scares them. Others, they're excited by it. Jesus is coming back. Maybe you say, okay, so well, what difference does it make for us today? I don't know where you are in your journey in life. Maybe you're here and you doubt whether God even exists. You question that. Let me share something with you. You may be honest when you say that you don't think there's a God or you question whether he really exists. Maybe you're saying things like, if there's a God, why is there so much evil? Let me tell you. If you even believe that evil exists, you are already implying the belief in a higher power. Where does it come from? 
The idea of evil is not a human invention. It already believes you believe in a set of moral values. Where does that come from? We're built that way. We're wired that way. We're created that way. We're made for faith. We believe in the existence of good and evil, not because it exists, it exists and that's true, but that's how we're made to believe, to function. And one day God will remove evil forever. Maybe you're a person who just says, well, I wish there was no God, I didn't have to worry about this, didn't have to deal with this, didn't have to face this. There are many people who would say, well, I don't believe in God and I wish he wasn't, and, and, and I think he's not real, but you know what? Deep down these people are searching, they're longing. The emptiness is there, and God puts that emptiness there for a reason. It's not by chance. Let me invite you to consider what the book of Revelation teaches. God is real. He cares about his creation. He's going to redeem it. He will destroy evil. And we have no idea exactly how that will work out, but it's going to happen. And it comes down to this one central core issue that I've talked about so many times. I know I sound like a broken record sometimes when I say this. But we are created for relationship. And that's what Satan cannot stand. And that's why he tempted Adam and Eve. That's why he got them to sin. And that's why the world is in the shape it's in. Because our relationship with God needs to be restored. Maybe you're here and you say, well, I don't believe Satan exists. Maybe you're trying to be honest when you say that. But deep down, you know better. In the end, all of us do. Let me close with this. If you're here this morning, you're thinking, yeah, that's all good in due time. I do want to become a Christian. Maybe someday. Yeah, maybe I should look after this. Let me just say, you're missing the point completely. There's no such thing as you being in control and in power of this. You can say yes or no, that is true. But Jesus says, nobody comes to me except that the Father draws him. I memorized this verse in German. Niemand comes zum Vater, as the dandas in seat. Nobody comes to the Father except that the Father draws him. Jesus says also, no one, you can do nothing without me. And if we are of this mindset that it's in my power to do it when I want to, I can choose him when I want to, I can reject him when I want to, you have to change your mind about that. God is drawing us now. God is patient, as Peter writes. He doesn't want anyone to, to be lost. That's why God is patient. I was sharing a story in Sunday school, this little boy who was in Sunday school, and the teacher was telling the story of the rich man and Lazarus. The teacher asked the children what they thought of the story, and who would they like to be in the story? The rich man had it nice in this world, and then he went to hell, he went to the place of suffering and pain and torment. He was in pain and agony. And the poor man, he had problems here, and was misery and poverty here, but he went to heaven. And had it, had it good over there. And so the teacher asked the kids, so what would you like to be? Who would you like to be? One little guy said, well, when I'm here in this life, I'd like to be the rich man. When I'm over there, then I'd like to be Lazarus. Well, that's not possible. But that's what the world teaches us. And Revelation is a letter written to the churches to encourage God's children to remain faithful, to remain true, to remain loyal to Jesus. The world and its systems will die. It will disintegrate and fall apart. It may look so enticing, so inviting, but it will not last. So let me encourage all of us here, look to Jesus. He came once as a baby, helpless, dependent, needed to be fed and changed like a baby, and learned from his mom and dad. He's coming back, this time as a king, as a judge, to work justice, to take his faithful ones home. We can be part of that.
The book of Revelation tells the story of how these two sides work themselves out, the good and the evil, and how evil will, will lose. In the final end, and evil will be thrown into hell. None of us here needs to be lost. All of us here can receive forgiveness when we say yes to the Holy Spirit's call on our lives. My prayer is that no one will waste this opportunity. May God bless us as we serve our Lord and Savior, our King and our Lord. Let us pray. Jesus, we're thankful for the experiences you allow us to have. As the group shared about Haiti, and as uh, the things that are happening there, we see so much need. The world is a very, very difficult place. Poverty and unrest and violence and sickness and denying you. And yet in the book of Revelation, it tells us about paradise being restored. You tell us you're going to make everything new. Lord, we ask for your strength, for courage to walk the path and to believe in you as our Lord and Savior. One day you'll take us home. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.